I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to our scripture reading. which is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. (laughs) 1 Corinthians 6. 1 through 11. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments concerning things pertaining to this life, do you appoint those who are least esteemed by the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you, not even one, who will be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers. Now therefore it is already an utter failure for you that you go to law against one another. Why do you not rather accept wrong? Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And this afternoon we're going to focus on the words of verse 2a, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Loved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if you read through Paul's letter to the Corinthians, you can tell that there were a lot of problems in that congregation. There were a lot of problems that the Apostle Paul had to address, a lot of trouble in Corinth. But these weren't all separate issues. The common denominator between these problems that Paul had to address is that the members of the church in Corinth, at least many of them, did not understand what it meant to be sanctified in Christ, that is, separated from the world, separated from sin, called out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, called to be holy because they had unity with Christ through the Holy Spirit. These believers believed in Jesus Christ, they believed, they were saved, but they, in many ways, ignored the call to live in obedience to Christ. And that became evident in their disunity, their pride in worldly wisdom, and their acceptance even of sin in the church, as you can read in chapter 5. 
It's also evident how they treated one another when it comes to what Paul calls trivial matters. At the end of verse 2, are you unworthy to judge even the smallest matters, trivial matters? Obviously, there were brothers in the church who were involved in lawsuits against one another. Paul isn't explicit as to what these lawsuits were about, but from the context, we can make some conclusions. First of all, Paul is not saying here that the courts are not to be used in the case of blatant criminal activity. He's not speaking here about cases of murder or domestic violence or robbery. He's not telling us that you shouldn't go to the police if your house is burglarized. All right, so Paul is not saying here that Christians may never go to court or use the judicial system of the country for honorable purposes. It's clear from Scripture that the judicial system does not bear the sword in vain to deter and punish crime, as Paul writes in Romans 13 and Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2. But there were church members in Corinth who were suing one another over trivial matters. Suing someone generally involves money, and it involves an attempt to prove a point, very often about one's reputation. And as I said, it almost always involves money. And Paul is speaking of trivial cases. Of, he's speaking about disputes between congregation members. And he mentions fraud, for example, at the end of verse 7. And if you read through these verses, you, you get a bit of an idea as to what is going on. If you look at the ver- list of sins in verse, verse 9, right, he speaks about the unrighteous. And he says, don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, or sodomites, those who practice homosexuality, or thieves, or covetous, or drunkards, or revilers, or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of heaven. All these somehow involve someone's property, whether it's material goods or reputation. And perhaps one of these lawsuits that Paul is talking about even involved the case that you can read about in chapter 5, a man living with his father's wife. And whatever the case, there were brothers in Corinth who were using the court system to settle disputes in the church. And it's only fair to conclude that this was done to give them more prestige, perhaps, in the church, or, or control over the leadership in the church. And Paul says, and you are people who claim to be wise? And he says, is there no one then among you who is wise enough to handle such trivial matters? He says it even more strongly. How dare you take one another to court about minor disputes and that before unrighteous judges? Are you not ashamed to do that? Don't you understand that the very fact that you have these lawsuits among you, that that means you're already defeated? What he means by this is by taking your trivial disputes before worldly judges, are you not demonstrating to them that you lack wisdom, that you Christians lack wisdom? By suing your brother, are you not making Christ and his church look foolish in the eyes of the world? And if you have disputes about such trivial things as money or about your own exaggerated opinion of your own reputation, aren't you just proving that that this is more important to you than the kingdom of heaven? And that's really the crux of Paul's argument. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Only the righteous 
will inherit? Don't you know that the saints will judge the world? The scripture emphasizes this in other places as well. In Daniel 7, verse 22, scripture promises that God will give judgment to the saints, that they will receive the kingdom. In Matthew 19, verse 28, the Lord Jesus says that the twelve apostles will judge the twelve tribes of Israel. Now in the Bible, the word judge is often used interchangeably with the word to rule. If a king is said to judge his people in righteousness, it means that he is ruling faithfully. So judging and ruling belong together. The point is that one day the saints will inherit the kingdom of God and everything that goes with it. That also means that together with Christ, the saints will judge and rule the world. So what we're talking about here is an eschatological reality. That's a big theological word that means we're talking about the end times, the eschaton. What will happen at the end of time? We will share in Christ's rule just as we share in his death and resurrection. And that means, brothers and sisters, that means that one day all injustice will be remedied. All unfairness will be corrected. All discrimination will be eliminated. All wrongs will be righted. Do you live with that eschatological concept and perspective in mind? All of these things, all these trivial matters too, it will all be taken care of. It will all be righted one day. And are we living then as those who are wise in Christ? Or are we willing to make ourselves and the church of Christ to look foolish for the sake of trivial matters? We might not take a brother to court, but are we free from trivial conflicts and disputes? How do you respond to people who criticize you? Or who have a different opinion than you do on certain matters? How do you react? By nature, we're quick to get upset, aren't we? When we think that we are being defrauded of what we consider to be our right. If your kids backtalk you, you get mad because you feel you've been defrauded of the respect that's owed to you. You get frustrated when people don't understand you. Maybe you get angry with your spouse because you feel you haven't received what is owed you. We get upset with people in the church when they dismiss our opinions. And the worst part is that we we sometimes even think we have a right to be angry about these things. But we should be asking ourselves, is this anger rooted in Christ? Is it really righteous anger? Are we upset because His rights are being defrauded? Are we upset that He is not being obeyed? Does it bother us that members of His bride are not acting as purely as they ought to act? I'm sure that by answering these questions in your own mind, you you quickly understand how very badly we all need the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, don't we? 
The congregation, this gospel message is not meant to make us feel hopeless. It's not meant to make you afraid of coming to the table of the Lord either. As if only those who are without sin may take of the bread and the wine. But the gospel message is, made, is meant to make you aware of your sin. And it's meant to humble you and drive you to Christ. Christ was defrauded of all of his rights, wasn't he? He left behind the glory of heaven to become a man in a sin-filled world. When his reputation was at stake, he did not respond in anger. When he was falsely accused, he remained silent. He trusted his father to vindicate him. And the gospel message is also meant to encourage you to seek your life in Him. No Christian, not, not one of us, can ever be satisfied with the level of sanctification we have achieved. We can never be satisfied with our current condition because we're all in need of more sanctification. Every one of us, there's no exceptions. And therefore we need the gospel, also as it is proclaimed to us in the Lord's Supper. When you come to the table in faith and you take the bread and the wine, then brothers and sisters, know for certain that this gospel message is for you. Know and believe that Christ died and paid for your sins, also your sins of unrighteous anger and any false feelings of being offended. And then know for certain, too, that because you are joined to Christ by faith, one day you will judge the world together with Him and all the saints. Someday all the wrongs in this world will be righted. All the wrongs committed against you, but also the wrongs committed by you. So today at the table of the Lord, we have a foretaste of that great and glorious feast of the Lamb that we will celebrate with Christ when He returns. A foretaste of our final victory over all of sin. A foretaste of what it will be like when everything will be made right. And it's evidence too that in Christ, the victory over sin has been assured. In Christ, we are already victors. And in Christ... All of our rights have been taken care of. May that perspective convince each one of us to remain humble before the Lord and also before one another. And may we rejoice together as we taste and see and hear how good the Lord is to us. Amen.